Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And we are live on Who Wrote That Up For You? Today is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. I'm Sonia Ebron, uh, co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I'm Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. Delightful show lined up for you today. In a few moments, we will speak with Olivia Miller. Uh, she's a junior partner at the Chad Barr Law Firm in Central Florida. Uh, and she has uh, some experience uh, with co- pro se lit- litigants. Uh, in the courts and has some resources uh, to share uh, and some advice for them. Uh, Before we get there, though, Deborah, what is on your mind today? What's your issue of the day? My issue of the day is hospital payment plans that, uh, unfortunately, one of the biggest culprits of this, of of companies that, uh, hospitals that are working with companies to collect patient money, uh, when a patient is unable to pay all the money up front or uh, may not have insurance, they uh, make this deal with a uh, credit company to uh, basically collect the money with uh, big interest rates. And used to be that there, there, you know, people would pay the hospital and there would be no interest rates. There would be no interest, but now they're charging these great big interest rates. And one of the worst culprits is a North Carolina-based company called Atrium Health. And uh, they are, um, uh, what happens is a a person is unable to pay their bills and uh, they they basically um, talk up this uh, credit card company, this credit company, sorry, this credit company, and the, the company gives them a good loan and uh, uh, what they say is a good loan. And uh, customer, uh, sometimes they're sick. They're not sure what's going on. Uh, one person was going through cancer uh, treatments and she came out and, it, and there are these all, all these bills from this company that she didn't really uh, know about uh, the company that she didn't even uh, basically know. And um, so that that's my biggest issue is that now they're, now it's like making a bunch of money off of poor people. Uh, the more money you have, uh, the more ability you have to pay up front, the less interest rates you have. So, you know, they're charging the poor people more money to, to basically to get, to get well. And uh, if, uh, things don't work out and people aren't able to pay. They take them through the courts. And it's just really, I think, a sad situation. So that's my issue. I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, we talk uh, uh, frequently here about ways that um, uh, folks are making money off poor folks these days. And that's not the way I think our economy is designed uh uh to work. Or, or maybe it is. I don't know. I'm trying to not be cynical on that. But, you know, we the Pew uh, Research Center did a major study on uh, debt collection in the courts. I believe it was very early this year, maybe late last year. Um, and you know, this is I think one of the uh, 
factors that are driving so many debt collection cases is when people are are sick or in desperate circumstances, and then you offer them credit at uh, just ridiculous interest rates. It's 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 not it's not the best uh, not the best way. But we see the courts having to handle uh, all of these issues here, uh, and that's really that is really unfortunate. So sorry to hear about that. Well, uh, Who Wrote That Up For You is sponsored by Courtroom 5. Uh, at Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we, the, we the people, are coming to claim our courts. Uh, so if you are in court without a lawyer or you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Try a limited version of our services for free. Uh, and we hope to provide some relief for you there. At this time, it's my pleasure uh, to welcome onto the show Olivia Miller, uh, the junior partner at the Chad Barr Law Firm in Central Florida. Olivia, thank you for joining us on Who Wrote That Up For You. Olivia, uh, give us your background. What got you into the practice of law? So, well, uh, I, I hate to say this, but it was my dad. Um, he told me for years that I would be a good attorney. And I said, absolutely not. I'm never going to be an attorney. I'm going to be an art historian. I worked at an art museum. And then uh, I realized in uh, about 2008 that it was time for me to go to law school. So I said, I will never, ever be a criminal defense attorney. Uh, I, I was a criminal defense attorney. <laughs> That's how I started. I was a public defender. Uh, and then I moved to insurance defense. And now I do personal injury and insurance litigation at our firm. Fantastic. That is great. And so in your in your practice there in Central Florida, I imagine you have the opportunity to witness uh, the experience of pro se litigants. Um, can you share a bit about what you've seen? Absolutely. So actually, my experience with pro se litigants starts at the very beginning of my career when I was a public defender in Orange County. Um, as a public defender, you are tasked with representing anybody who needs an attorney, and that includes pro se litigants. So I've actually gone to trial with a pro se litigant. Um, I was the sort of backup attorney if they, that person had questions. And I was able to help that person get through his trial um, and represent himself. It was just a misdemeanor trial. So it was not, um, you know, it, there weren't incredibly high stakes like there can be in criminal court. But um, so that's where it started was with helping those types of people who needed representation, who were representing themselves in a criminal uh, setting. Now, um, I've seen a lot of pro se litigants. I do a lot of work in Florida's small claims court because of our insurance litigation. And there are a lot of people who represent themselves in small claims court. So I've had the benefit of seeing a lot of, um, of those kind of people, especially during COVID. Uh, now we're able to sit in, so to speak, on all kinds of cases because we'll be waiting for our turn in a hearing and a thing, and we'll see uh, pro se litigants acting on their own behalf with the judge, and um, and we get to see how those hearings go and how those trials go. Fantastic. Well, how do they fare in small claims uh, cases there? So in small claims court in Florida, um, pro se litigants actually get to interact with judges and um, the opposing party in ways that normally people don't get to. So judges, I think people will find are incredibly helpful people. Um, the reason they're judges is because they want to help people. And the pro se litigants will be able to ask questions. Um, you know, obviously judges can't give 
legal advice, but judges are absolutely able to say, here are resources that are available to you or, um, you know, tell me about your situation. There's a lot of leeway given to people who are representing themselves as far as procedure and form. And, um, you know, judges really will take into consideration that a person does not have a formal legal background when they are a Absolutely. I think in small claims court, uh, we've seen similar things. Judges will tend to bend over backwards. Judge Judy has been fabulous in sort of maybe educating the entire uh, judiciary about how to handle uh, folks in small claims court. Do you see in small claims um, pro se litigants uh, opposed by represented parties or is it usually, uh, you know, two pro se litigants against each other? It's almost always in small claims court in Florida that I have seen, it's almost always a pro se litigant against an attorney. Um, And that's really difficult for the pro se litigant because the attorney very well could know the judge. The attorney knows the procedures. The attorney knows the rules of, um, you know, civil procedure and criminal procedure. Um, So it's really difficult. It's also difficult to be fair to attorneys out there. It's hard for us to, to um, litigate against pro se litigants because we don't want to do anything that would be unfair to that person. And so um, it's just inherently unfair when there's an attorney who is arguing against someone who's not represented. Absolutely. Absolutely. In small claims court, you wouldn't think there would be a whole lot of procedure to understand civil procedure or, or, you know, anything like that. But this is Florida. Is that your experience? Are there multiple uh, filings and court appearances and all of that you might see in some of the the courts upstairs, if you will. Definitely in, in the lower courts, a lot of the time, the procedure still comes into play. Um, you know, you have to be able to get into court. So the procedure, so filing a lawsuit, um, serving a lawsuit, defending a lawsuit, filing pleadings, all of those things are very difficult if you're a pro se, uh, anybody acting on their own behalf, even just filing an answer um, if you're sued, on your own behalf is difficult because you have to have a a login to be able to do that. In Florida, we're lucky that everything is done through e-filing, but other places, the middle district of Florida, for instance, a federal court, you have to be able to have a login to be able to file pleadings. So it's, it's very difficult. um, And it is definitely made easier with the clerks and judicial assistants and judges who are all willing to help people who are representing themselves with how to get those things done, how to file those things, how to represent themselves. They're really great about helping. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And as you mentioned, there are clerks, there are judicial assistants, uh, and those are folks that work with your with your judge. Um, and they provide tremendous information, I guess. Can they give legal advice? They cannot give legal advice. The only people who can give legal advice are attorneys. And really, the only legal advice you should take is from an attorney you've hired. But um, the great thing is that the judicial assistants and clerks and uh, deputies who are located in courtrooms and really just anyone who's in the justice system has experience with how exactly you go about doing things. Uh, They are absolutely willing to help show you you the right place to go, the right website to go to, um, to tell you here's what you need to do. You know, even if you were just in a hallway outside of a courtroom and and strike up a conversation with someone, in my experience, people are absolutely willing to give advice and 
Um, you know, not like about your particular case, but maybe about here's the step that you need to follow, or here's this, this judge's judicial assistant, contact this person, here's the website to go to. Um, so, you know, there's, there's kind of resources and just going into a courthouse and being around and that's a lot easier now um, than it was in the past couple of years. You can absolutely just go in and, and t- start talking to people. Um, the same goes with calling. You know, you can always call a judicial assistant. You can always call the clerk's office. You may have to wait on the phone for a long time because there's a lot of staffing issues now. But people are always willing to help, especially um, with people who are representing themselves, because those people who are involved in the court system know how difficult it is. Yeah, absolutely. The courts themselves, the the court's website, for instance, might also have some resources that are useful. Uh, and you know, Florida does a good job in the, all 59 counties do you have there? Um, it just trying to educate uh, the, the public about court procedures. But what have you found there in Central Florida? You're absolutely right. The courts in Florida are fantastic with having policies and procedures and examples of things on their websites. I think a great piece of advice is for a pro se litigant to go into websites. So for instance, the Ninth Judicial Circuit in Florida, that's Orange and Osceola County here. They have a great website where there are lots of different resources about um, representing yourself. Then also I would recommend going into the four attorneys sections of any court website. Those sections will have different things that you can just click through. It's not, um, you know, you don't have to have a, a login to access that. You don't have to be a member of the bar. That's all open to the public in Florida. And so those resources can help you as well, even if it's just understanding that in Florida we have deputies instead of bailiffs. Um, that, that's a, a distinction that you may need to know to get your point across or to ask the right questions. So those kind of uh, resources for attorneys and for the general public are great resources for anybody to go to. Federal courts um, also have those resources. They may be, you know, it may be difficult to understand what you're looking at, but you can always Google information. You can always just look up on the internet, any kind of terminology that you don't understand. And pretty much everything is available to you now. So it's great to just be able to look through websites. It may take you a lot longer than um, than it would take me because I, I already know that information. But if you are, um, if you're representing yourself, absolutely find out as much information as you can and utilize those resources that are available. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Olivia, let me ask one last question then. So you see in, in small claims court, I think it's called county court there in Florida, you see uh, pro se litigants opposed by represented parties, lawyers like yourself, even with all the resources available and the clerks and judicial assistants, which I know personally are just fantastic, um, doing everything they can to help. What's the win-loss ratio? What's the, uh, what's the chance of a pro se litigant really having uh, the ability to be heard or to win uh, a case in small claims when there's a lawyer on the other side? You know, that's it's very difficult. Um, there are just things that attorneys know to file. There are things that attorneys know to do that the general public just, they you will never know how to do that because we've gone to law school and we've done this job. It's just like, I have no idea how to blow dry my hair uh, correctly the way my my hairdresser does. So it's exactly the same. You know, I can't do plumbing just, you know, so 
Um, so, but it's really difficult to win. I think winning is kind of, um, it's, it's how you see that word. You know, if you're representing yourself, let's say for instance, in a credit card case, you have been unable to pay your credit card and, um, you're sued by the, by the credit card company and you represent yourself. A win may be, um, connecting with the other attorney and establishing some sort of payment plan. That could be a win for you. Um, a win could be, you know, anything like that, where, um, where it's something that is in your best interest or best for you, but it's not necessarily, you know, your case isn't thrown out. Uh, that's, that's a kind of scenario that's really unlikely to happen when you're going against another attorney. Um, but definitely it, there are ways you can represent yourself and help yourself and do what's best for you in your own life. Excellent. That is, I appreciate your candor uh, there and that wonderful advice. Olivia, I'm going to share your law firm's website uh, on the screen for our viewers. That's the Chad Barr, B-A-R-R, law firm in Central Florida. Thank you so much for joining us. Where else can people find you online? Thank you so much. You can find us at all uh, Chad Barr Law, at Chad Barr Law. Um, we're all over all the social medias and, um, and our website, which you kindly put up on the screen. We really appreciate you uh, for joining us. I know you all have had a hurricane there recently, and so things are still a a bit shaky. I hope everyone is well uh, and wish you the best of luck and continued success in your career. Thank you so much, Olivia. Thank you. You too as well. Thank you, Olivia. All right. Fantastic. Always appreciate a lawyer who can be candid about the experience of uh, of pro se litigants in the court and really appreciate her for sharing uh, those resources and that great advice. Um, Deborah, let's um, let's find out who won um, yesterday's quiz and uh, what you have teed up for us tomorrow. Okay, we do have a winner. The question was, which principle of law says that an amendment to a pleading will be treated as though it were filed at the time the original pleading was filed? And the choices were statute of limitations, discovery rule, stare decisis, and relation back. And the answer is, uh, of course, number four, relation back. For example, if you uh, want to amend your complaint, and uh, it's, it's long after <laughs> the statute of limitations uh, for, for the actual filing. It's okay because it relates back to the actual date of the filing. Any amendment would relate back to the actual date of the filing. So the winner was Kira J. Congratulations to Kira there. I am sure Kira is not the Courtroom 5 member who uh, filed her complaint the day before, I believe, the statute of limitations would um, uh, have expired so that she could file an amended complaint a little bit later that was a little (laughs) bit more prepared. Uh, Sure, that's not the Kira who, who did that. But congratulations to Kira. And today's quiz which of the following is a standard of review on appeal? Probable cause, clearly erroneous, preponderance of evidence, or reasonable suspicion? If you want to participate in today's quiz, send your responses to quiz at courtroom5.com. 
Fantastic. Looking forward to the answers there. And now we have a surprise and special guest. Uh, Brian Vukadinovich joined us uh, at the beginning of our podcast uh, on day one uh, and just really um, uh, set us up for a great uh, season one here. Uh, So we wanted to bring him back here on day 49, episode 49 (laughs) of the podcast. Brian, I should let you know, and we've announced to our audience that Deborah (laughs) and I are going to take a brief break, about a three-week break after tomorrow, uh, after episode 50. And so we wanted to just bring you back and uh, just, uh, just recap the uh, the season with you. And to chat briefly, we've had the opportunity to speak with a number of lawyers, with a number of pro se litigants, with a number of people working on access to justice issues uh, throughout the, the, the legal profession and in the courts. We've learned a lot uh, this season, but I wanted to just circle back with you because I know you also study uh, these issues uh, from a different perspective, a, a much more on the ground perspective, if you will. Uh, and just get your sense, Brian, of what is happening today uh, in the courts and why is it so hard uh, for people to access our justice system? Well, uh, first of all, hello, Sonia. Hello, Deborah. How are you doing? Uh, I've been following your, your interviews. You've been doing a great job. So keep up the good work with the show. Keep it going. I, uh, and congratulations to Kara for a- answering that really good question by, by Deborah as well. And uh, so uh, I, I was able to uh, catch the latter part of uh, the interview you were doing with Olivia. And basically, in a nutshell, to answer the question you posed to me here, uh, now I know your interview with Lo- Olivia was related to small claims cases. And then your question at the end was was uh, the success rate that pro se's might have in small claims court against lawyers, and uh, she pretty much said it all uh, with two words. She said very difficult. That was her answer. So my my way of thinking is well, doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of small claims court? Then it's not supposed to matter if there's an attorney involved in the case or not. So, I mean, she gave a you know, very direct, honest answer. It's very difficult, and it's not supposed to be. So, and that's how it is, you know, in the larger picture with all of the courts, whether it's small claims court, state court, federal court, it's the same, it's the same thing. Bottom line, it comes down to the lawyer game. You know, who's got the best lawyer, who's got a lawyer, and who doesn't have a lawyer, and that's not what it's supposed to be. Uh, so, you know, it's disheartening to hear that, but that was the honest answer. I mean, I could go on and on. I've got a friend that just went through a small claims experience um, himself, and I, I was there with him and watched what was going on, and he was basically uh, treated just like dirt, basically. I, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, I think the courts uh, with small claims cases, they need to do a better job training the judges that are handling the small claims cases. And, you know, they put out all these things that look good with, you know, here's things that can help you on the website and so forth. And uh, it should be just common sense. A small claims court should be just common sense. I mean, you could almost throw out the rules out the window. Hey, tell me your side of the story, uh, just like you were talking, Judge Judy does, okay? Hey, let me know what happened. Tell me what happened here. Mm -hmm. Let's forget about this rule 267E 5-47 and all of that garbage. <laughs> okay. What happened? Okay, it's that simple. And I think the 
not only should the small claims courts be like that, but the, all of the courts should be like that. Uh, just come in and tell, you know, please your case. They've made it much too complicated. It's all, it's a lawyer game. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it just, and then, you know, you were talking about uh, e-filing in the small court cases. Well, that's a mixed bag. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of uh, litigants and at every level of, of court, and uh, you would think that all courts would encourage electronic filing. They actually require it of lawyers. And then when it comes to a pro se, some courts allow them and some don't. And that's ridiculous. They should all be allowing electronic filing. But I can tell you for a fact that is not the case. I can tell you that as a fact. So, and also in uh, small claims courts, uh, it's very hard to, to actually prove the case in the respect that they have very limited rules, uh, lim like on discovery rules, on interrogatories. When you're in state and federal court, usually they'll have some kind of a number, a cap. You can file like 25 or 30 interrogatories or whatever. But I know that my friend who just went through his small claims case, they allowed five questions. You know, wow. that's that's ridiculous. Wow. That's absolutely ridiculous. And, and another point also uh, in small claims court, uh, I know you asked Olivia about uh, the percentage of the uh, pro se's that go against lawyers and so forth. Uh, in in almost all small claims courts, if not all small claims courts, they all kind of have their own rules to a certain extent. But most small claims courts require that when you when the pro se sues a corporation, that the corporation has to have a lawyer. In other words, an employee, the president of the corporation, whoever, cannot come in and represent. It has to be a lawyer. So here we go again. So if, if, a, if a pro se is filing some giant corporation, he's going against a giant battery of lawyers, even if it's in small claims court. So there's a whole lot of fixing that needs to be take, you know, going on in, in I'm talking about small claims here mostly because that's what your interview was with with Olivia. And by the way, she did a she did a very good job with it. She did and, indeed. Uh, so uh, that's where I'm at with it. I mean, I'm the same. You know, I have the same feelings about people are entitled to fairness in the small claims courts, just like they would be a person that's a small claims. That case is just as important to him as a person who's going in front of the Supreme Court. I mean, it's important. So, but they're not treated with that much uh, respect, actually, still. In my opinion, your most recent uh, experience and the and the subject of your book, Motion for Justice, is um, about the federal courts. Do you uh, see a difference between the experience in small claims and and what you experienced in federal court there? Well, it's kind of apples and oranges because the federal courts uh, are involved. The issues are so much more complex. You get into uh, equal rights cases, you know, and, and gender discrimination, age discrimination, race discrimination, terminations, uh, due process, and so forth. It's a, it's just an entirely different animal, uh, and 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 it is a very complicated process to have to go through. With in terms of, there's a thing called uh, motion for summary judgment. 
which uh, generally doesn't happen in small claims cases. In fact, most small claims courts don't even allow a motion for summary judgment. But, uh, and that's actually a good thing. Uh, but uh, so it's just kind of, it's apples and oranges, actually. Uh, just, and by the way, you know, I, I, I believe that, that uh, the small claims concept could also be uh, brought into the state and federal uh, courts as well. Why, why can't you, if, if you have an issue with, let's just say, a police department that has been harassing you, or abusing your rights in some way, shape, or form, which I certainly went through in my in my life, which I wrote about. Okay, but if you sue a if you sue a police department, the um, the you should be able to you should be able to to represent you know represent yourself in the same manner as you would in a in a small claims case uh, with a little lax you know in the rules, a little less latitude. But they make it real clear to you because I went through it. They make it real clear to you. Look, we don't care if you're pro se. You're you're going. We have our rules here, and you're going to follow. And that's that's fine. But the way they've created the system, they've made the rules so complicated that there's some lawyers that don't even know know what they're doing when, when they go in there. To be honest about it, I mean, there's a lot of incompetence at that at the, at that level as well. So it's just it's much more complicated than it needs to be. And why can't you in a in a major federal case? And I just went through one in 2016. I won, I won the case, uh, but it, it, you know it's it's very it's it's difficult to do. But most people, you know, the people that went to my trial, they and the, and even I shouldn't say who they were, but there were court personnel actually that even asked me, you know, afterwards, man, how did you do this? How were you able to do this and so forth? Well, you know, I mean, you know, we've talked about this before in other shows that we've done. And uh, it just takes a whole lot of preparation and, and you know, and, and the homework and so forth. But they make it too, they make it too difficult and it shouldn't be. You know, people who people are suing, for example, police departments uh, for wrongful arrest, abuse, brutality or whatever. They should be able to just go in and, and say to the judge, look, judge, here's what happened. OK. And put a couple of witnesses on. You can pretty well figure things out real quick that way. But they make it so, so difficult. It's just it's it's mind boggling. Our country, the judiciary can do much, much better. And I'm very disappointed, to be quite honest about it. Let me ask you this. And this is this is the last question, but I think it may may capture our discussion very well. You know, there are in every state hundreds of statutes that might apply to different situations um, that you have to cite in your litigation. There are. Six million or so appellate uh, cases that you might have to cite that just, you know, apply those statutes and all those rules in different ways. I mean, we've got what now, 80 million or so, uh, you know, cases in civil court every year. And obviously, each of them is different. There are different fact patterns or different arguments. There's on and on and on. Let me ask you this then, given that, would you rather simplify the procedures? Right uh, in court, so that the average layman could operate at all levels of our courts. Or would you rather get everybody a lawyer when they're in civil court, so that they can apply all of those statutes and you know appellate courts and rules and all of that for their specific 
specific circumstances. That's actually, what would be your preference? Uh, that's an easy one for me. I go with simplifying the process and keep the lawyers out as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons, you know, that I say that, and that <laughs> could be another show. But uh, you know, as I said, keep it simple. Let the people come in and speak their piece. Put the evidence on, and let you know the judge or the jury make make a decision in the case. As soon as you get lawyers involved, it's just uh, you know it becomes a really, really you know the situation just becomes very tenuous. Lawyers, you know, like for example, in my case, when I went through my federal trial in 2016, we had a settlement conference, and my my issue was not the money. My issue was was that that the truth came out as to what they did. It was the principle. Believe it or not, sometimes it is all about the principle. And the, the judge in my case, the federal judge, came out and told me, hey, they want to they uh, pay you uh, $150,000. We were, we were ready set for trial, like in two weeks. And I said, no. You know, I didn't bat an eye. I said, no. He said, listen, I just said $150,000. I said, I heard you the first time. <laughs> and, and I'll leave that right there, you know, because we had some other extended conversation with that. So, you know, but if, there were, if I would have had a lawyer, he, that lawyer would have been jamming that money because he wants that money in his pocket because he gets a cut of it and so forth. So there's a lot of different reasons. And, and lawyers, a lot of times they can do a lot better job uh, in the in the manner and how they, you know, they have this attitude about, uh, hey, uh, uh, I'm the lawyer, you're not, you know, you know what, but you're still my employee. I'm your boss. Okay. And this is what I want to see happen here. But most, most people won't say that to the lawyers, but lawyers have this attitude. Uh, in fact, uh, my friend uh, is going through a case right now. And we were in the hallway talking before his hearing with a lawyer and his lawyer was so condescending. It was unbelievable, but I just kind of, you know, kept my mouth shut. And, uh, and so forth. So, you know, the easy answer is keep it simple. And if you can, if possible, keep the lawyers out. We don't need lawyers. This country does not need lawyers. It doesn't. We can do quite well without lawyers. We don't need them. Absolutely. We do not Absolutely. need lawyers. We can survive without lawyers. You get messed in trouble. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to put that in there or not, but I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm telling it like it is. And if any lawyer would like to come on and, and have a debate with me on that, I'm happy to do that. All right. That's the challenge. We'll put that out. There you have it, Brian. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to bring you back at the end of our season here and, and just to capture your uh, perspective on, on, on these many issues. We, I, I'm sharing the name of your book uh, on our screen for our viewers, Motion for Justice, I Rest My Case. And you can find that at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and fine bookstores uh, everywhere. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Always great to chat with you, my friend. We will speak with you again very soon. And you as well, Sonia, Deborah. Thank you so much. That's great. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> we, are, we are way past time, but I just really uh, am always excited to speak with Brian and so grateful that he could help us wrap up uh, this season of the show. Just want to remind our viewers again, uh, tomorrow is episode number 50, after which Deborah and I will take a uh, quick break uh, for three weeks. We're going to wrap this season one uh, with the 50th episode. And um, yeah, we're, we, will, we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh.
Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid? As if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us. And their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court. Or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.